this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Hello, my name is Dan Weber, and I'm one of the cardiothoracic fellows here at the University of California, San Francisco. I'm privileged to be joined by Dr. Scott Merrick, the Helen and Charles Schwab Distinguished Professor of Cardiac Surgery here at UCSF. Today, I will be speaking with Dr. Merrick regarding his thoughts on post-infarction ventricular septal defects, including the evaluation, diagnosis, intraoperative strategies, and postoperative management. Okay, we will begin with a case scenario. A 64-year-old female presents to the emergency room with 48 hours of worsening chest pain, pressure, and dizziness. She is found to have an ST elevation MI and is taken to the cath lab, at which time she undergoes successful PCI of an acutely occluded proximal LAD. Two days later, she develops shortness of breath and is found to have a new pansystolic murmur on exam. Subsequent transthoracic echocardiography demonstrates an approximately 3-centimeter anterior VSD with left-to-right shunning. She is transferred to the cardiac ICU, requires intubation for worsening respiratory distress, and the cardiac surgery service is consulted. So, Dr. Merrick, now that the diagnosis of an anterior VSD has been made, what other things would you want to know about this patient, and what are your thoughts regarding the role of a balloon pump for LV afterload reduction and decreased left-to-right shunting. Uh, thanks, Dan. Um, uh, I think these cases uh, are obviously very challenging, and the initial step is to try to stabilize the patient as much as you can. So I would put the intraoc balloon pump insertion at the top of the list before you do almost anything else. Obviously, she's been... Uh, cath, so you know the coronary anatomy, and uh, that step is out of the way. So at this point, it's, it's basically trying to reduce the degree of shunting of the VSD and help perfuse her other organs. Uh, in addition to that, once you have that done, then obviously studying her medical profile is a key determinant of what that patient's outcome is and what your surgical decision-making might be. Okay, great. How would you approach the patient if she were already on multiple ionotropes and pressors and in multi-organ system failure? In particular, is there any role for VA ECMO to resuscitate and or stabilize the patient prior to definitive surgical repair? Additionally, what are your thoughts on delayed repair? Well, I think uh, if you're in a center that isn't capable of doing surgical intervention on post-infarction VSDs, then I think VA ECMO uh, it is a reasonable thing to do. An LVAD, probably not, because that won't uh, eliminate the shunting, and you still won't have a patient who's not in failure. Uh, if she's in a center that is capable and has a, a fairly good experience in repairing these, then uh, it's my opinion that a patient with uh, evidence of early organ failure, pulmonary edema requiring intubation, Etc. Uh, probably should be taken to the operating room unless there are some really uh, severe contraindications to doing so. Um, if you can, then 
delayed repair obviously would be the best thing, uh, which allows scar formation to form on the rim of the VSD, and it makes the surgical repair much easier and the outcomes much better. However, uh, most of these patients are unpredictable, and waiting oftentimes results in a patient who has a good medical profile turning into a very bad medical profile due to multi-organ failure. Great. Obviously, these patients can be very sick. Are there times would you, where you would not offer surgery? Yeah, I think uh, that kind of depends on, uh, again, what their overall status is. If they're elderly, if they're not very functional at home at baseline, uh, if, uh, if they have some other major medical issue in their profile that would be a contraindication to surgery, then I probably wouldn't offer that patient a surgical repair. Um, but in general, my philosophy is to be aggressive up front, uh, especially in patients with um, evidence of early organ dysfunction. I don't think those patients you can salvage adequately uh, with medical therapy. Is there any role for attempting a repair percutaneously with mechanical support if needed? The literature seems to suggest a pretty high early failure rate. Yeah, I think it's been tried, and and I don't think it's a bad idea. Uh, if if you have a patient who is transferred in on ECMO, for example, with uh, already established multi-organ failure or uh, complete uh, organ dysfunction, then that might be the only way to salvage the patient. Uh, I think the, the failure rates for percutaneous closure are as high as surgical failure rates, so I'd say on the order of 20%. Okay, now we have the patient in the operating room. How do you approach your cannulation strategy? In particular, I would assume you'd use bicaval venous cannulation, place an LV vent, and cool the patient. Is that correct? Uh, yes, to some degree. Uh, I mean, I think the key thing is if you think you're going to introduce uh, uh, air into your circuit, then you'd want to be uh, cannulated bicavally with cable snares. That's a fairly fundamental principle. Whether or not you put a vent in, uh, at least initially, you probably wouldn't really need to since you're gonna have the left ventricle open and the vent really wouldn't be uh, helping you out. Putting a vent in after the procedure might be useful, particularly in those cases where there might be some degree of aortic insufficiency. Cooling, yes, I, <clears throat> I would definitely cool this patient. You're probably gonna have a little bit longer cross clamp and pump run time, so uh, it's, just my philosophy that you uh, have a little bit uh, uh, more uh, leeway when it comes to doing procedures when the patient's a little bit cold. Great. Uh, what is your preferred technique for approaching the anterior defect? And then how does it change depending on the location of the defect? The fundamental rule on any of these is to uh, make your incision through the infarct area. So if it's anterior, you're, you're looking at um, an incision parallel to the LED, probably down near the apex where most of these things are. Similarly, on an inferior-based uh, BSD, uh, you lift the heart up and you go through the infarct on the inferior wall. Um, the, the old habit of debriding necrotic muscle, I think, is pretty much gone. I don't think there's any need for that, nor is there any benefit to that. Uh, if you did have to, then you're 
you're probably going to end up putting a big patch on the area because you can't reapproximate it. Okay. If there were any untreated coronary artery disease, would you go ahead and perform a cabbage at the same time as your VSD repair? Yeah, definitely. I think it uh, it's critically important. Most of these patients have multivessel coronary artery disease, and I think the the outcome of those patients, if you're uh, fortunate enough to get a survivor, is going to be dependent on the degree of re revascularization. Furthermore, it, it's going to improve your safety of doing the procedure by way of uh, getting better cardioplegia and protection of the heart uh, and uh, potentially limiting the uh, infarct zone. Okay. Uh, what material do you pref prefer to use for the patch and where do you uh, prefer to first anchor the patch? Well, for an anterior patch uh, or either anterior posterior patch, I tend to use uh, Hemashield. I think it's really easy to use and flexible and uh, you can trim it to the size that you want. Um, so I would use that even if I was doing a double patch technique. Um, the um, Where you start the patch depends on the anatomy of the uh, opening. Uh, and I would say uh, it's probably better to start your repair in the most difficult area that you can't see as well because that's really where you want the best stitches. I tend to use interrupted stitches with wide bites and big pledges, uh, so it, it tends to uh, reduce the need to decide on where, where to start your patch. How do you feel about the exclusion technique, which has the theoretical advantage of maintaining geometry and enhancing LV function? Well, in general, on these cases, I try to keep things as simple as possible. So uh, I would favor um, using either a single patch or double patch routine. Uh, in addition, you need to factor in the time it'll take to do your coronary revascularization, which I think is critically important. Um, and uh, uh, the area where uh, geometry maintenance, I think, comes into play is if if you do have a uh, an area of extensive necrosis and it, it literally comes apart on there, or you have to do some debridement. You can't bring that together necessarily with uh, between Teflon felt strips. There's too much tension, and it'll reduce the uh, cavity size of the left ventricle. So in that situation, a double patch technique would be almost mandatory. But I think that those two approaches are far easier to do, faster, and uh, taking into account the time it'll take to do your coronary revascularization, I think that's the best way to do it. Okay. In general, how do you decide whether the, to close the ventriculotomy with a separate patch and the double patch technique versus a buttress double layer repair? Yeah, for the same reasons, I think if you're going to um, bring two widely um, discrepant areas together under tension, you should avoid doing so on almost any kind of tissue. In that case, a double patch technique is really almost mandatory. Gotcha. Now let's focus on postoperative management. Can I assume the postoperative care would be pretty similar to other post-cardiac surgery patients? Yes, uh, I think your surveillance uh, on a daily basis for uh, recurrent murmurs or uh, uh, things of that nature, or shunts, if, you're, if you have a swan GANS in place, would be critical because it is a common problem and you'd want to know if the patient has either a residual shunt or a new shunt. Okay. 
Now to focus brief, briefly on recurrent VSDs, which appear in approximately 10 to 25% of patients, how do you approach their management? Well, that's tough. I, I think uh, that might be a situation where percutaneous intervention would be very helpful, primarily because the size of the defect may be a lot smaller and there may be more material for the device to grab and seat on. Under what conditions would you consider going back in to repair a recurrent VSD? I think if you uh, have a double patch technique where the external patch is big enough and you have the capability of making an incision through that patch to gain access to the VSD, as long as your suture line is hemostatic, that would be the one uh, situation where I'd be willing to consider that. If you've closed the ventriculotomy uh, with a linear repair using felt strips, I would not want to take those down to reopen the muscle, and that would be very difficult to reclose. Okay, great. Well, thanks again for your time and expertise, Dr. Merrick. I know I appreciate it, and I imagine so do all the listeners. Thank you.